This morning I have a little story that I want to share with you from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. A little story that has great results. Uh, A little story that uh, reveals something about the goodness and the power of Jesus. A story that uh, I'm sure if this man could speak with us today, he would get up gladly and he would share with us about what happened to him because one day in his life he met Jesus. And a story that, like many of us, that we are able to testify of just how good God is in situations. And it's a real miracle that happens in life when people come to this place of life when they realize they've got to drop everything of their own, what they think to be their own securities, and hold on to something that the world might consider to be insecure. And it's a miracle in life when people start to realize they've got to let go of the things that they, that they depend on for security. And I don't know if, if you're like this, I'm sure many of you are like this in this room, um, but a lot, of, a lot of times in life, people spend most of their life, if not all of their life, building around them a security to give them a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a comfort, reassurance. They build around themselves this, this, this wall, if you like, or this foundation that they hope will keep them secure. Now, we know it's the normal things. It could be, you know, working on good health or working on good wealth or working on possessions, um, reputation. Whatever they're doing, people in life are continuing to build this in their lives because they desire a sense of security. Until Jesus comes along in the way Jesus does things and he flips it around and he says, you know what? I wanted to stop you for a moment and I want you to let go of these things. I want you to let go of depending on these things and I want you to hold on to something that is rock solid. I want you to let go of the things that you think are going to make you secure in life and I want you to come face to face with the raw reality that with all these things you are destined to fail. You are destined to fall and you are destined to some eternal destruction. And at the end of the day, the only thing you can really hold on to is me. That's what he's saying. So this idea of letting go of the things that we depend on for security, think about it. Think about the things in your life that if they were taken away from you, you would be caused to panic. And I think what the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe what he's asking us to do is to come to a place in our faith where we're saying, Lord, yes, while I want, I would like these things as part of my life because this is life, my dependency, my security is in you alone. What I find great, the greatest comfort in is knowing you, knowing you. And I think this man that we're going to read about today is a really, really good example of this. It's like a people, if you remember the story of the ark in the Old Testament, when Noah was commissioned to build this ark in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, he was, he was asked to build this ark and, and the people around him just, just didn't want to believe it. So much so that only eight of those who lived on, in, in, on the earth made it into the ark. Now, it doesn't really matter how many of the other, whatever it was, hundreds of thousands or even more people on the earth at the time, no matter how secure they found themselves to be and how, many, how, how much they were able to establish their security, there was no security outside of the ark, was there? 
I mean, they could have the greatest security. They could have had the greatest wealth. They could have had the greatest health. They could have had the most possessions, the best reputation. But outside of the ark, they were completely insecure. Until they decided, until unless they had decided that everything I have in life is insignificant unless I'm in the ark, unless I'm safe, unless I'm secure, unless I'm in Christ, unless I know him and, and have this relationship with him. It takes faith and it takes us to be really honest with ourselves to say, do you know what? This is what is most important. I must get this right. And sometimes, fortunately for us, not sometimes, always, it's the Lord that comes to us and says, do you want it? Do you want it? And maybe there are times he needs to, you know, um, sort of shake up a little bit our own securities in order to help us understand and realize that it's him that we need and him alone. Where is your security this morning? What is, in your, what is your security in? What is our security in? And I would love this morning that we would walk away, all of us, knowing more and more the deepness and the richness of being secure in Christ and what that means and what that looks like when we are absolutely secure in him. Let's read. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, the Bible says, Now they came to Jericho. And as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude and a great multitude blind Bartimaeus or Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard there was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rejoice, be happy, rise. He's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. It's a remarkable story, a remarkable event of this interaction between Jesus and this man. Something that seemed almost just like another day for Jesus. Nothing, nothing too hard for him but particularly interested in what this man wanted and we are particularly interested in what this happened, happened just generally to this man. Now, you can't imagine going into the city one night and sadly, as we see sometimes when you go into the city or other places, you see sometimes people who sit begging for money. Particularly on cold nights, like if you go through the, the, the season of winter and you go there, your heart kind of feels a bit more uh, compassionate because you think of the cold nights and where they're sleeping and how they're sleeping and so forth. But you can't imagine a, a, a homeless man or homeless woman begging on the streets with their, if they're, I don't know, they've created their own bed for themselves, perhaps with a cardboard box and they've got a blanket. 
that's keeping, they've got one blanket that's keeping them warm on a, a cold Melbourne winter's night. You can't imagine, you would be, it would be disgraceful if someone went up to that person while they were sleeping and snatched their blanket away. Wouldn't you? It'd be like, you couldn't even imagine someone doing that, you know? Someone coming and taking away the very thing that's keeping them warm, the very thing that they need, the very thing that's protecting them, the very thing that's keeping them secure. And here is a beautiful story of this man who is, has his blanket, if you like, his, his garments. And along comes, comes Jesus, and the, and, the, and the order of this is really, really beautiful. Two, one of the, well, two of the most remarkable passages in this scripture are verses 50 and 51. And in verse 50, the Bible says, And throwing aside his blanket, or his garments, or his security, throwing it aside, he rose and he came to Jesus. Throwing aside the very thing, the, probably the only thing that kept him safe and secure. And throwing it aside, the Bible says, he arose and he came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Really two very significant passages, two very significant verses. And I think written in the right order. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Two passages, two verses, where the man throws aside his garment, throws aside everything that he wants to be, he, perhaps he finds security in, and he comes to Jesus, and then Jesus asks him something that, wouldn't you love to be asked this of Jesus? What do you want me to do for you? What a question. What an amazing question to be asked by Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? What would you tell him? What would you ask him? Imagine all the things on our list that we would come and bring before Jesus and then Jesus is asking us to pick one. What do you want me to do for you? What is it that really is going to make a difference for you? And I think if Jesus asked this question, the same question to you this morning, I can only imagine that for a lot of us, there'd be all these different answers and different responses to Jesus. But at the end of the day, what is it? What is it that he really is trying to draw out from you? Because I think a lot of us would come to Jesus with our garments wrapped around us, thinking to ourselves, we'll hold on to this garment and we'll answer his question. But perhaps, perhaps he wouldn't even ask the question until you let go of the garment. And this place of readiness in our hearts, having let go and now having ready to receive. And the story is remarkable. And, and I think that, just, that is just two of the verses but let's go back and have a look what's going on here. I just want to take you through some of these verses. Verse 46, it talks about this great multitude of people coming from Jericho. Jesus and with his great disciples, they come along and they see this man called Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He's begging on the road. And what I find remarkable, whenever I hear in the scriptures things like great multitudes, lots of people, a bunch of people, I'm always fascinated with one thing. How is it that Jesus walks through a bunch of people? How is it that Jesus walks through a multitude of people and yet only a few gravitate to him? I always find that amazing. How is it that Jesus, is able, the Son of God, is able to walk through crowds and only a few cling to him, find him, hold on to him? And really, I think to myself, why am I so amazed about that? Because the world is like that today. 
There's a world where Jesus is wandering through this world, ministering in different ways all over the world, and still only a remnant, a few, cling to him. Sure, many go to church, many read their Bibles, many even worship God, but only a few cling to him. Like as if to say they know something different about him. And this happened here as well. They're going through all these crowds and still only seems to be at this kind of few that cling to Jesus. Now, some won't cling to Jesus because they just don't, they just don't want to know him. Oh, why aren't you clinging to Jesus? Not interested. <laughs> oh, okay. Why aren't you clinging to Jesus? It's not for me. Oh, okay. You know? So there so are many that won't cling to Jesus because they just don't want to know him. They, they'll, I'm okay, I'm fine, no problem, life is good, I'll be fine, I'll be all right, until one day they're confronted with their own mortality or reality and they realize that they are nothing but empty vessels. And then there are others where Jesus walks through and sadly, and perhaps more sadly, they, they claim to know him, but they don't. So he's wandering through their presence, he's wandering through their company, and while they claim to have this relationship with Jesus because of some, I don't know, some uh, understanding that they have, they uh, one day will find that they don't. So the, the, the story of, that Jesus gives where he says, many one day are going to come to me and say, Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. Lord, you taught in our streets. So what are they claiming there? What are they claiming? That they know him. Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. We had a meal with you. What do we do on a Sunday morning? What do we do at a Bible study? We have a meal with Jesus. Lord, you taught in our presence. We, we heard you. And then he turns around and he says, but depart from me. I never knew you because you practice lawlessness, sinfulness. But you depart from me because you are practices of evil. In other words, Sin still rules your heart. So while they claim to know him in crowds, if you like, they don't know him because they're not prepared to forsake their sin and follow him. So all these people are coming around the crowds and they're following Jesus. And what's, quite, what's remarkable about this passage that, that in all the people that could see Jesus, it takes a blind man to recognize him. How fascinating. Every eye that could see Jesus, hundreds perhaps, maybe even more, that could see him. It takes a blind man to recognize him. And the blind man, which I think is remarkable because Jesus said, I've hid these things from the wise and the prudent and I've revealed these truths to babes. Because... <laughs> Because you don't intellectualize Jesus. You don't come to Jesus because you've worked him out. You come to Jesus by faith and because you need him. You come to Jesus because of the desperateness of your soul and how much you are uh, um, in, in need of a savior. You don't come to Jesus because somehow you've been able to uh, formulate this understanding of the scriptures and who Jesus is in the context of humanity. And Now you come throwing yourself. I don't think this man was learned. I don't think this man was educated. I don't think this man thought to himself, I've worked Jesus out. This man just was desperately in need of him and found himself 
saying what he said. He kept calling out. So the Bible says in verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He began to cry this out. What he wanted, what he wanted was mercy. And I don't think this might have been the first time this man heard about Jesus. I don't suspect this was the first time this man had heard about Jesus. I, I reckon, I, I've got this feeling that at some time in his life, this man, perhaps over the last few months, people were coming up to him saying, you heard about Jesus? You heard about Jesus? You heard what Jesus did? I'll tell you what Jesus did. And I reckon he would have heard, you know, his senses of his hearing would have uh, been heightened because of his blindness. And he would have heard what was going on here. And he would have heard something about Jesus and his curiosity would have began to grow in his heart and his interest and more importantly his faith and I can only imagine this man's mind if Jesus ever comes my way boy I'm not letting him go and so this man is sitting crying with faith son of David that's remarkable in itself because he's making a connection to King David so his his understanding is remarkable when he comes in faith he says son of David have mercy on me The Bible says that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, it's not hard, brothers and sisters, friends, it's not hard. That if you recognize in your heart the need for anything that you are insecure of, the need for life, the need to drop your own insecurities and to cling on to the Lord who is your own security, then it's not hard. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember when I was still a teenager and I had been invited for my first church service. I'd been spoken to a little bit about the faith and I was invited to my first church service just in a little place, a little room with a great preacher. And here I was just sitting thinking to myself, it's an interesting place, <laughs> a little room with a powerful speaker. Hearing the gospel being preached. And as the, God, as the Spirit of God was working in my heart as a young man, the Spirit of God was working in my heart, only 16 years old, you know, I'm thinking, well, life is ahead of me. As the Spirit of God is working in my heart and speaking to my life and speaking to my heart and speaking to things that were real about me, at the end of that message, I was asked, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? And I could not help. I was compelled to cry out to the Lord. Because this is faith. This is the work of God. This is the work of God that works in the heart of people that comes along your way and you feel compelled. And it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to no longer hear the voice of God. To numb the voice of God. To have it numbed in your life. It's a really, really scary thought. And that you would beg for mercy. Lord, bring back your voice. Bring back the speaking of your word into my heart. May my heart never grow numb to hear you. That we are compelled to cry out unto the name of the Lord. And all this man wants is mercy. That's that's all he wants is, Lord, have mercy on me. And I reckon, I believe, brothers and sisters, that if I was to say to you, I could say confidently to you this morning that what every single person in this room desperately needs, and perhaps I could say only needs in this context, is mercy. Where are you going to go without mercy? 
Where are you going to live without mercy? How are you going to even proceed without mercy? How are you going to move into a new marriage without mercy? How are you going to raise children without mercy? How are you going to make any relationship survive without mercy? It's the mercy of God in our lives. Because you know what mercy does? It strips me of everything that I think I can do. Uh, I couldn't do this because I wasn't able to. Uh, it didn't survive because we weren't able to. No. The fact you say it couldn't survive is why you desperately come at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Because this is, this is, the mercy, this is what we need, the mercy of God. We know the mercies of God are new every morning, don't we? Great is your faithfulness, Lamentations. When Jesus gave a story once, he said um, there were two men who went up to pray to God. One was a pretty, pretty righteous man, pretty good man. He, he fasted twice a week. He paid his tithes and he looked up to God and what he found himself saying is, thank you, God, that I do these things and thank you that I'm not like this bloke. Who was this bloke? Tax collector, hated, corrupt maybe. Probably of their own admission, corrupt. And then this man, who was a tax collector, the Bible says, went up and he couldn't even look up. He just found himself beating his chest saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who, who went down justified? Who went down heard? Who went down accepted? It was the man who said, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we can go around and we can justify ourselves and we can compare ourselves to all these other people and think, well, I must be all right because I'm better than this person or I'm better than that. I must be okay because I'm better than my husband or I'm better than my wife. I must be okay and fail to understand that you, you more than anyone need mercy. And this man who beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner, didn't rise then to go off and spend the rest of his life beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now it's, Lord, have mercy on me because I need you, I need you for life. I need you to move on. I need you to help me progress. I need you to help me grow. Have mercy on me. I remember when David, King David, got caught doing something he shouldn't be doing. What we seem to think, we seem to probably think is not too bad of a thing, but he counted his people and perhaps he was becoming a bit proud with what he had accomplished maybe I don't know but he'd, he'd counted his and, and he, God judged him for this and he was given he was given options it's interesting this dialogue between God and David he was given options in how he would, would be to be punished okay I, I need to punish you for this I'm gonna, there's a consequence for this David here are your options and do you know what David says remarkable he says, let me, let me fall into the hand of God more than the hand of man, because with God, there is mercy. Amazing. He rather had fallen into the hand of God because he knew God was a merciful God. He knew that if he went into the hands of man, who knows what they could do to him? But he knew if he threw himself at the hands of God and he, and he came with this remorse and repentance and, and a sense of sincerity, authenticity, Lord, have mercy on me, that God is a merciful God. What will you bring to God this morning? 
What is it in the depth of your heart that you think, you know what, I've, I've yet to bring this security to him. I've yet to bring this garment to him. What is it that, you, that we bring? And we say, we've got to let it go. We've got, we've got to let this go because it's getting in the way of knowing him more and more. Then it's remarkable, verse, verse 48, they many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I find this interesting that many warned him to be quiet because I don't know whether they had learned from earlier in what had happened. If you go back to verse 13, Jesus, uh, they were trying to bring children to Jesus just, just earlier on. They were trying to bring, Jesus to Je- uh, bring ju- children to Jesus. And in verse 13, uh, the Bible says, Then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. It's interesting, isn't it? Similar scenario. Here they were bringing children to Jesus and they were stopping Jesus. They were stopping the children. Don't, he's got no time for you. Don't bother him. And Jesus, Jesus, Bible says Jesus became displeased with this. And I'm just wondering what happened, what, what, what perhaps they failed to learn from this experience to the next experience where they said to this man, shh, be quiet. Because for Jesus, anyone who wants to come to him, he accepts. Anyone who desires to know him, he embraces. He doesn't exclude people just because of their age or their abilities or disabilities. Bring them, bring them to me. If they hunger and thirst for righteousness, bring them. If they long to be healed of their condition of their soul, bring them. Because they recognize how much they need him. But this man couldn't stop. Even though they tried, this man could not stop. He had to cry out even more. And I wonder when the little things get in the way, okay, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, and the little thing gets in the way or a little discouragement gets in the way or a little thought pops into the mind, we so easily just give it up and think, okay, maybe next Sunday, maybe next Sunday. And the smallest things give it up. And this man was being told, shh, don't come to him. And he thought, I don't care what you have to say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's like he wasn't going to worry what they had to say. And the reason why this man wasn't going to worry what they had to say is because he knew, listen carefully, he knew that the only healing from his condition was going to be the mercy of God. If this, he let this slip by, if he let this go, that was it. So he was going to cry out all the more. So unless we think something else and someone else is going to actually be able to help us, unless we think that, then like this man, any attempt from anything to distract us and discourage us from only coming to Jesus, is we're going to find what we do is cry out even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's all we can do. Trusting and believing that he will. Throwing away our securities and trusting, not depending on them, 
but trusting only in the security that is in Christ because that's the mercy we need. So I don't know about you, but this next verse blows my mind away. The Bible says that Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Could you imagine that? (laughs) Everything has to stop. We're not going any further. We're not, forget it. I'm not traveling any further. It's like the universe stopped. And Jesus stood still. And he says, it's like he's saying, I'm not going anywhere else until you come out, you get him to come here. That is a remarkable picture. That he would actually find himself in a place where the Son of God would not move another step until they brought this man to him. Doesn't it remind you when Jesus left the 99? It's like he said to the sheep, Are you wait here. We're not going anywhere else. You're going to be okay. Because I'm going to look for the one that's lost. I'll stop the universe. I'll just stop what we've got to do so I can find you. And we're running away from him. <laughs> but this is what Jesus does. And this man wasn't going to let him go past because he knew and he cried out, um, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And that's where we come to verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he arose or he rose and came to Jesus. So this morning, we can come to Jesus and we can choose to bring our securities that we still depend on or we can choose to leave them behind. But I tell you what, where you're going to find great power, you're going to find great power in leaving them behind. We can bring our plans with us or we can leave our plans behind. Oh, this is, this is what I have to do. This is what life is going to be for me. This is what I need. We can bring them all. That's fine. But where we're going to find great power is to leave them behind and cry out, have mercy. We can bring our comforts, we can bring our pleasures, we can bring our grudges, we can bring them all. But where great power will lie is when we throw our garments aside. You see, it's hard to carry a cross with one hand, isn't it? Can you imagine doing that? Jesus says, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And we're trying to carry our cross with one hand and we're trying to carry our grudges with the other and we're trying to carry our securities. You can't carry the cross with one hand. Well, you you can try. But great power comes in leaving it behind. Because I get it. The garment that you carry, the garment you carry feels like you're protected. It covers your old life. It keeps the old life. I get it. I understand it. But no matter how good your garment is and how pretty your garment is and how secure your garment is, if you stay outside the ark, your garment's going to do nothing for you. But if we take it off and we say, Lord Jesus, I need your mercy. I'm prepared to remove this garment and come to you and throw myself at your feet. I don't care what people have to say. I don't care what people are thinking. I don't care what they're telling me that you shouldn't do this. I'm going to come and I'm going to come knowing that if I come to you with all my heart, you will make me a new creation. It's like regrets. How many of us in this room carry a regret? 
How many of us room, how many in this room, uh, something has happened perhaps many years ago, something you did maybe, or maybe something that someone did to you and you carry a regret and you're still carrying it and it's haunting you or even hurting you. How many of us carry a regret of something that happens recently to us and, and, and you're carrying this regret? You think, boy, I wish that didn't happen. I wish I didn't do that. I wish they didn't do that. And you carry this regret. You think, boy, and people say, do you have regrets? And you, this thing pops into your mind and you carry it. Like it becomes burdensome to you. It hurts you, pains you. I want to encourage you this morning as you reflect on that regret that comes to your mind as I'm sharing with you. I want to encourage you this morning to be able to Remove it. Lay it at the foot of cross. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, you've got to take this now. Because holding on to it, maybe I feel safer holding on to it, but it's killing me. I've got to lay this regret down. I've got to bring it to you. And have mercy on me that I may find healing from it. So I can move on. And so we can come with our grudges and we can come with our regrets and we can come with our pains, but it, the, the, the healing, the power will come when we lay our garment aside. And I believe because he laid his garment aside that he was in a right place for Jesus to ask him, what do you want me to do for you? Verse, verse 51. He threw his garment and he was ready to receive. What do you want me to do for you? Well, naturally, what's this man want? He wants his sight. The blind man answered and said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Well, that's fair enough. But the heart of faith that came, the heart of faith demonstrated he was ready to receive what Jesus was wanting to give him because he showed his faith by leaving his garment behind. His security, everything that he held on to, everything kept him warm, safe, comfortable, comforted. He threw it behind and said, Jesus, I need you to have mercy on me. And Jesus, seeing the heart of faith, said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, yeah, I want to be able to receive sight. I want to be able to come and find wholeness. I want to be able to come and find healing. I want to come and find peace. I want to come and find salvation in you. And I'm demonstrating this, Jesus, because I'm leaving the world behind. I'm leaving my securities behind. When I thought about a title of this message, I thought just humorously, I thought, Jesus wants your security blanket. Because we're leaving it behind. And he comes, and the Bible says, and he asks for uh, healing, which is, which is fine. Jesus, verse 52, the, Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. It's the same faith today, brothers and sisters, that are going to make us well. It's not about uh, taking more control. It's not about finding the right strategy. It's not about, about manipulating the situation. Uh, you're not going to find wholeness and wellness in trying to manipulate the situation or finding the correct strategy in the situation. You're going to find wholeness and wellness by the faith that you come with Jesus. And immediately the Bible says he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. You know, it's interesting, I want to speak to you, those who have known the Lord for a while. When we claim to see, which we do, yeah, well, I was blind but now I see. When we claim to see, there's only, only really one path to follow, isn't there? 
The Bible says, and when he immediately received his sight, what did he do? He followed Jesus on the road. There's only really one path to walk. There's only one path. Now that God has granted you sight, there's only one path. Before, yeah, sure, sit down and beg. But now that you see, there's only one sight, one path, and that's to follow the path of Jesus. It's like when you go hiking. If you see, you don't go stepping in muddy puddles on purpose. You avoid them because you see. You know, there's a snake ahead of you. You avoid it because you see it. You're not blind anymore. And I still, fad, I, I still find it, I, I can't fathom when Christians claim to see and they just step into their sin. They step into their mud of their sin. They, they stay, as if they know it's there and they go and they step in it. Don't you see? It was ahead of you and you stepped into it. You know, someone enticed you, someone said something to you and you fought back. It was there, it was obvious. It was that muddy patch that you're going to put your clean shoes in. Couldn't you see it was coming ahead of you? Or some lustful thought, well, bang, get out, because it's there. And so, and so the only path to walk when we claim to see is the path that follows Jesus. Because, listen, not because of us, our goodness, because of his great mercy yeah, what does the psalmist say? Psalm twenty-three: Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so this man did the right thing. He was able to see. He was made to see. And what he did in faith, he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. He wasn't going to sit and beg anymore. He wasn't going to sit with his blanket and garment and find some comfort, maybe in someone helping him at some stage in his life. No, he was going to follow Jesus. He was going to take, up his, uh, take off his garment, if you like, and follow him. How great is the mercy of God, yeah? How great is the mercy of God? Any one of us now can call upon the name of the Lord and find salvation. That any one of us can call upon the name of the Lord and find healing. Great is his mercy, great must be our faith, brothers and sisters. Can I encourage us this morning to leave our garments with no return to them and to follow him. To leave our garments and follow Jesus with all of our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Let's come before the Lord this morning as we reflect and meditate on this wonderful man or rather this man with a wonderful story who found healing found salvation, found sight by leaving his comforts and his securities behind him, the things that were holding him back from knowing Jesus, the things that were taking away, robbing him of this relationship and this intimacy with the Lord. I encourage us this morning, what is the garment that we have to remove what is it that we need to do to find ourselves wholly and completely following him? Let's bow our heads. Let's, let's reflect on his word this morning and all that he calls us to.
Lord Jesus Christ, your name is wonderful and you're also counselor, Lord. You are the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. We come this morning, join us, brothers and sisters, as we, uh, as we seek the Lord this morning. We come, Lord Jesus, um, laying aside everything we depend on, that we may wholly and completely depend on you, that we may find our rest and peace and strength and salvation in you, that you may establish our faith, that we may follow you, Lord, not clinging on to things as we try and follow, not holding to one thing and holding the cross with the other, but to give you our hearts completely. Brothers and sisters, as we come before the Lord this morning, let us wholly and completely let go and hold on to him. May you see the glory and the power of the resurrected Christ working in your hearts and working in your lives because you cling to him, you trust him, you believe in his word and what he has said. Father in heaven, may your face shine upon your people this morning. May you continue to grant them grace and peace in the week ahead. Father, I just want to particularly pray for our brother John this morning who is with us. We pray for your hand of healing and touch to be upon him. We pray for strength, Lord. We pray for peace. We pray, Lord God, that you are magnified and glorified in his life. Work, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We come to you, Lord God. We bring him, we bring all our requests, and we bring our souls to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.